Please stand as you are able for the reading of today's New Testament lesson from the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. Now every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, "'Child, why have you treated us like this? Look." Your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human faith. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, it is hard to believe that Christmas was yesterday. And although the festivities of Christmas are over, as Shelby has said this morning and has prayed this morning, thank you, Shelby, Christmas is not over. Um, in fact, the celebration that we do at Christmas time is a reminder, it's a drawing our attention back to what the birth of the Christ child long ago means for us today. And that is something that continues to happen in our lives every day and in every moment. And so we continue to celebrate that. And as we shall see as we study our lesson today, this reality has a profound impact on our knowing who we are and what it is that we are to do and how we are to live. So as our text explains, the Holy Family had traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And after the festivities were over, much like today, the crowds had dispersed and they had gone on their way with a caravan of family and friends. They had traveled for about a day when they suddenly realized that Jesus was not with them. I can imagine them saying, I thought he was with you. No, I thought he was with you. Can you imagine the confusion? Now, I experienced a little glimpse of this when my oldest child, Sarah, who has just started college this year, was a toddler. 
Bryant, my husband, had gone for a run around the neighborhood and he was making laps and I was in the bedroom and Sarah was standing beside the bed and at some point I looked up from what I was doing and I discovered that she wasn't standing there anymore. So I called out her name and I looked all over the house but I couldn't find her and my anxiety started to get a little bit higher as I ran outside with my heart racing and my thoughts racing and finally I found her standing in the middle of the front yard. The whole ordeal maybe lasted for three minutes, but it kind of freaked me out. And today's text says that it took Mary and Joseph three days to find Jesus. I cannot imagine what they were going through. So when I found Sarah standing in the front yard, I gave her a big hug as I tried to calm myself down and I asked her, honey, what are you doing out here? And she said, Daddy, and she's pointing to the street. And so the best I could figure out is that she must have seen her dad run by through the window, and she decided that she wanted to be with him. Now, our text says that when Mary and Joseph found Jesus, Mary said to him, Honey, what have you been doing? Why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been searching for you with great anxiety. And it helps to understand that this word translated anxiety contains in it a heavy dose of anguish. Now, not long ago, I visited with the Sunny Day Club, and I shared a story about one time I went missing. I was maybe five years old, and my slightly older sister decided that we should go on an adventure. It'll be fun, she says. Nothing bad will happen. She was always getting me into trouble. And Karen, if you're watching today, you know that that's true. <laughs> anyway, it was a beautiful fall day, and we lived on this farm that had a lot of land behind it. And so as we went exploring, we came to what I now uh, presume was some kind of sinkhole in the back of the farm in the woods. And so the leaves had fallen and they had created this beautiful blanket of all these different colors going down the slope and in the bottom and it just looked like a really soft quilt. So we just had to go in, we had to check it out. Now what we didn't anticipate was how steep the actual slope was and how slippery the leaves were. So it only took about two steps in for that beautiful blanket of leaves to turn into a giant slide. And there we went. My sister went first and I followed shortly behind and we slid all the way to the bottom. And when we finally hit the bottom, we looked at each other, we looked up from where we had just come and we had that moment. Um, like, what are we going to do now? So we immediately tried to climb back up. It wasn't gonna happen. So we looked to the other side and we saw rocks were kind of jutting out from the other side. And we thought, well, maybe we could use those for traction. So we did and it seemed to work. We were making good progress until we got just a few feet from the top and we got stuck. And so I remember sitting on this little ledge and as time went on, and we figured out we couldn't go any further up. We really couldn't go back down the way we had come. It, we, it was too dangerous. 
uh, the light started to dim, it started to get colder outside, and we started to get anxious, that same kind of anxious that Mary and Joseph felt. But it was not so much that we were worried about not being found, although it included that. It was actually being worried about what was going to happen when we were found. (laughs) So, like Jesus, we weren't intentionally trying to disobey our parents. We weren't intentionally trying to worry them to death. But we did. And like Mary and Joseph, my parents had assumed that we were where we were supposed to be. But as soon as they realized that we weren't, they dropped everything to find us. Now, some of you may remember that it wasn't that long ago that Davis shared in a sermon when his daughter Haley and their now son-in-law Zach went missing. Do you remember this? And how in that moment they knew they just had to drop everything, that they must go and make sure that she was found and safe. Now, as you know, as you imagine, we were both found. (laughs) We were both safe and sound. But, in our case, we rightly came to know we were not to do that again. (laughs) Now, when Jesus found Mary and asked him what he was thinking, Jesus seems perplexed by that question. And we hear what are his first words in the Gospel of Luke. He says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I must be in my Father's house? And another way to understand that is that I must be about my father's business. Jesus knew the thing that he had to be doing. And he didn't understand why it took his parents three days to find him. Jesus seemed to know something about himself that his parents were yet to fully understand. And we see this happening again and again in Scripture as Jesus fulfills that thing that he must do. A seminary professor um, of mine once said that we should refrain from using the word must when we're preaching. And I thought, well, I can kind of understand that because sometimes people just don't like being told what to do. But I also thought, well, sometimes there really are things that we must do like loving parents who know that they must drop everything to find their missing child. Now, let's be clear what we're talking about today. It's not a kind of must that involves following some arbitrary set of rules. It's a kind of must that is driven by love, that reflects our deepest values in life, those things that we must do, because it's good and right, and it comes from a place of love. And throughout Scripture, we see Jesus expressing that which he must do. I must be in my Father's house. I must heal the sick, even if it's the Sabbath. I must preach good news to the poor, because that's why I've come. And no less than four times, he says, I must suffer and die. There's no greater love than someone who lays down their life for their friends. Jesus knew that which he must do, that which God had sent him to do, had entrusted him to do. 
Now, in our lives, sometimes, seemingly out of nowhere, we get a glimpse of clarity about what it is that we must do. Now, it may be something momentary, like, I must drop everything and go find my child who is missing. Or it may be a major life change, like getting called into ministry in the middle of your life. Now, we're going to be entering a new year in just a few days, so it's a natural time that many of us take to just pause and to reflect on things and how they're going in our lives. It's a good time for us to ask, is there anything that's missing? Have we been worried and distracted by too many unimportant things? So I want to suggest to us today that there are two primary questions that we kind of uh, live with throughout our lives, and the answers may change over our lives. And the questions are, first, coming to know who we are, and I think that answer is essentially the same for all of us. It's coming to know, excuse me, that we are God's beloved child. And the second question is about discovering who we are uniquely called to be, and how we are to use the precious time that we have been given on this earth. Now, both of these questions, I argue, are found in and through our relationship with our Creator. And I also believe that just thinking about it isn't going to get us there. It takes more than that. It takes incorporating our heads and our hearts our bodies, our spirits, our relationships in, most foundationally, an ever-deepening relationship with God. So the first question, knowing that we are God's beloved child, sounds like it should be pretty simple to understand, but sometimes it's hard for some of us to feel it, to adopt it, to know it deep in our hearts. It remains elusive sometimes because we experience brokenness in the world and it confuses us. God's grace and love are so freely given, but the world tries to tell us that we need to earn that love. And God sees each one of us as his beautiful and beloved children, but the world has all these pressures and standards that it puts on us for a different kind of perfection, and we start to think sometimes we're not enough, that we're not lovable. Now, discovering who we are as beloved children of God must come then through our relationship with God, and I want to argue that this and the second question are related to the greatest commandment. So first, we come to know who we are by learning to love God with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. Now, God's love is active in our lives before we even realize it. And it's that love that's active even before our awareness that even enables us to do this. So we come to know that love that leaves the 99 to find the one who is missing, the one who is lost. And we come to know that kind of love that makes us want to chase after our Abba, our Father, our Daddy, who is just waiting to receive us with open arms. Now, it's just like an 
amazingly gracious God to give us a commandment, a thing that we must do, that actually gives us freedom, that actually helps us grow in love, that actually leads us to abundant life and to that completing of joy that Jesus prays for us, that actually leads us to discover who we are. Isn't that amazing? Now, it's only in knowing the answer to the first question that we can begin to even ask the second question, who is it that we've uniquely been created to be? Now, I think this answer flows from the first, and it comes from following the second part of the Great Commandment, to love our neighbor as ourselves. It is in learning to love our neighbor that we discover more and more about who we are, that we discover that this commandment, too, leads to our healing and joy. It is in through serving others and finding our special place in the body of Christ that we discover who we are created to be, that we find our place in the body of Christ to continue His mission of healing the sick, feeding the hungry, liberating the captive, and bringing good news to the poor. There are so many examples of people in our midst, and I see some of you sitting here today, who have discovered those things that you must do. Let me just give you a few examples that we're familiar with. We know that Brian Hicks knew that if he was going to serve an impoverished community in Nashville, that he must move into the neighborhood. Olivia Smith's volunteer role in the women's prison helped her know that she must do something to help women recovering from addiction. A couple of mission partners of ours I'll share with you. Clemmie Greenlee, who lost a son to gun violence, knew that she must start a support group for moms who have faced that same kind of pain so that they don't have to do it alone. And Nabil Costa, who left a high-level corporate job to run a Christian nonprofit in the Middle East, who recently shared with us on a visit just a couple of weeks ago, that in spite of the increasingly devastating social, political, and economic circumstances in Lebanon, that he was 100% certain that that is where he was supposed to be. He said, I'm not 99% certain, I'm not 98% certain, I am 100% certain that this is what I must do. Now, each one of these examples includes individuals finding the place that they are to serve. But the most important thing to notice is that the driving force behind their must was love. Love of neighbor rooted in love of God. It wasn't that they had to do these things due to some external pressure, but they had to do them because of the passion, the compassion that God had planted in their hearts. Now, these are some pretty lofty examples, so I need to take a minute to clarify a really important point. We are not all called to quit our jobs. We are not all called to start a nonprofit organization, but we are all called to learn to love our neighbor better, more holy, 
and in everything that we do. Mother Teresa says it this way. She says, no matter what we may be doing, whether big or small, we've got to understand that we cannot do great things. We can only do small things with great love. And I think that's true in everything that we do. And it's also good for us to remember today that Jesus came giving us an example that he was not coming to be served, but to serve and that he stooped down to wash his disciples' feet. Like Emily Dixon, I'm sorry, Dickinson says, if I can stop one heart from breaking, I shall not live in vain. If I can ease one life the aching, or cool one pain, or help one robin unto its nest again, I shall not live in vain. And finally, as the spiritual giant Howard Thurman says, when he's reflecting on what matters the most in his life, he offers these words. I want to be more loving in my heart. I must ease the tension in my heart that ejects a sharp barb, a stinging word. I want to be more loving in my heart that with unconscious awareness and deliberate intent, I shall be a gracious human being, a kind human being, and that those who walk the way with me may find it easier to love and to be gracious because of the love of God, which is increasingly expressed in my living I think that beautifully and clearly captures our shared calling. And it reminds us that what makes the biggest difference in our lives and in the lives of others, in all of those ordinary moments of the day, whether we're doing things that the world may consider big or small, is that we do them with great love. So as we anticipate the start of a new year, Let's take time to pause from whatever it is that may have had us distracted and worried and make sure that there isn't something important missing in our lives. And as we continue this Christmas season, as Shelby said earlier, as that light of Christ shines brightly in our hearts, May each of us know ever more fully, ever more deeply, Emmanuel, God with us, so that we can come to understand ever more fully and ever more deeply who we are and how it is that we are called to share the light and the love of Christ in the world. May it be so.